right quick. Um, great weekend, Memorial Day weekend. Um, many of you wonder where Memorial Day came from, uh, especially as a holiday. Actually, it wasn't, didn't become a national holiday until 1971. But uh, after the Civil War, uh, which was a time of rebuilding our nation, about a half million people lost their lives in combat in the Civil War. And uh, out of that, what developed was a day called Decorations Day. And on Decorations Day, they would go and just put flowers over all of the graves of those who lost their lives during the Civil War. Half million people. Isn't that incredible? The uh, statistics say that probably right now between 1.1 and 1.3 million Americans have given their life uh, in combat uh, for the sake of the freedoms of this country. So we're, we're blessed beyond what we can ever imagine. But that's kind of where Memorial Day came from. It's, uh, you know, many people mark it as the beginning of summer, and then we go to Labor Day, which is the end of summer. But what an incredible thing. We are blessed. I, I, I'm reminded, uh, uh, you know, that God has raised up the United States at a, such a time as this. I'm not saying we're God's chosen people by any stretch of the imagination. I think we built, we're built on some biblical principles that uh, are, are bedrock for us that seemed a little shaky right now. But uh, I think God has raised up the United States for such a time as this just to be able to uh, police many things, that, uh, especially evil, that is taking place in our world. And so it's a day to remember those that have given in their life, but it's also a day just to say thank you to those that uh, have served or continue to serve in our armed forces uh, right now. So that's uh, kind of a little bit of a Memorial Day, and so we are blessed as a nation. One, one other thing, um, when, if freedom comes responsibility. And uh, with that freedom, we have a responsibility, especially as Christ followers, to be able to share the gospel uh, while we still have an open window to be able to worship and, and to lift up Jesus. Amen? So we get to do that. But I want to give God glory just a minute. Jorge? We prayed over you uh, a couple of months ago, was it, in here? And uh, the report this week was cancer-free. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. So, uh, thank you, Lord. Come on, man. Let's just let the Lord. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, man. That is. That's good. That's good. I like the masks, though. They're going to become trendy, bro. Uh, I can tell you. Yeah, that's right. That is right. Oh, man. Uh, so I just wanted to rejoice with that in just a moment. Man, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Joshua chapter 4 today. And uh, for you that were here last week, man, we just crossed the Jordan. We crossed the Jordan into the land of promise. And uh, if you were not here last week, it would be a great thing to go pick up just so that you can catch uh, just what the Lord is showing all of us through this book of Joshua. But we need to remember this, that uh, the promise was on the other side of the Jordan. If they had never crossed the Jordan, they wouldn't have entered in the promises of God. Their obedience in crossing the Jordan led them to the promises, okay? Your obedience... Your obedience and stepping out with God will lead you into his promises. So I just encourage you, man, you keep, you keep stepping out as the Lord shows you the direction to go. But uh, I, I just finished a book that I, I, I kind of read a couple of books at a time. Just to, and, But this is, this is the other side of my brain. This isn't the deeply spiritual one. About this uh, a lady, uh, a writer, and she chose to do uh, something every day to overcome a fear in her life. 
So 365 days, she had a different fear to overcome, and there was many different ones in the book. But the last one was to climb uh, Mount Kilimanjaro. And so she kind of goes point by point walking through that uh, climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. But one of the things that was interesting is, is I was reading it, and it's good to read about other people climbing so I don't have to do it. But, but, you know, you'd have base camps. That, in other words, you don't start at the, at the bottom and climb all the way to the top. You have base camps. And in base camps are areas of safety, security. You can rest up. You can get your supplies. You can uh, uh, get prepared for the next climb that you're about to do. Today, we're going to talk about how the children of Israel, God's sons and daughters, had a base camp that they worked out of. And here's the deal, though. You're thinking, okay, we're just looking at this from history. I think God is going to make a very personal plea in your heart about finding your own base camp that you need to work out of today. So in Joshua chapter 4, uh, I'm going to read some. I'll skip some, but I'll, I'll kind of fill you in on, on, the, on there. Grab your Bibles. Keep them open. Jot down notes. It'll help you to grow, I think. But chapter 4, verse 1, it says this. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, now we're talking about a million plus people here, okay? He said this, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. And in the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it crossed the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. You see, the, you see what's taking place. The, remember, they were carrying the ark. They stepped into the water. It, it backed up. And uh, now they're telling them, he's telling these men, one from each tribe, go in. These stones had to be of some size. It says, put them on your shoulder. And they brought them out. And so they're going to be establishing a, a memorial. And uh, we're going we're to look at that in just a second. So verse 8 says, so the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took the 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried him over with them to their camp where they put them down. And so Joshua set up these 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. Now, what happened from here, let me just kind of preface a little bit and paraphrase it for you, is that they crossed over. Now, there were three, remember there's 12 tribes, there were three that had made a decision to stay on the other side of the Jordan. They were, uh, they were, they were called uh, Gad. And, and Reuben and the half-tribe of Manasseh. But here's the deal. If you're going to stay over there, it doesn't mean you don't get to go into the, the land of promise with us. So they had 40,000 of their armed men who were ready to go into battle with the children of Israel. So they go on across into the land uh, as well. Now, we look at, at verse 14, and uh, that day it says that, that Joshua was exalted in the, in, the, in the eyes of the people. Now, we had read that last week that that was going to happen. Now, let's, let's go on down a little bit. Let me pick it up at verse 17. It says, So Joshua commanded the priest, 
come up out of the Jordan, and the priests came out of the river carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on the dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage as before. On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones that had taken, that had taken out of the Jordan. And he said to the Israelites, in the future, and this is just what he said a minute ago, in the future when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground, for the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you crossed over. And the Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had also done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. Now look at verse 24. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. In other words, it's not to puff you up as a people, but it's so that people everywhere, when they see this, are going to know that your God is powerful. To me, that's huge. I think we take so much glory from God. We're thinking, oh, may they see how good a church we are. May they see how good our worship is or how good our teachers are. Or some of these. No. Can they go away and say, man, how great is their God? And that's what uh, Joshua is saying here is that, they're going to know that God is great by what takes place uh, with this crossing of the Jordan. Now, notice back in verse 19. This is where we're going to camp out a little bit. It says, On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan, and they camped at Gilgal. And then verse 20 says, At Gilgal, the twelve stones were set up as this uh, memorial marker that was there. It took place at a Gilgal. You know, we know so many cities in the Promised Land. We hear about Jerusalem. We hear about Bethlehem. We hear about all the Galilean area. And we hear about all these Jericho. We hear about all these cities. But very, very few have ever talked about this city called Gilgal, this, this encampment that they have set out. But let me tell you how important it was. Gilgal was the place when they came across, they set up as their base camp. It would be the place that whenever they went out, they went to Jericho, they came back to Gilgal. They went to Ai, they came back to Gilgal. They would always come back to their base camp. They would come back, and you did not want to be cut off from your base camp. That's where you're going to get your supplies. That's where you're going to get your guidance. That's where your wounded are going to heal up. That's where you're going to get rest. All of these things are going to happen back at Gilgal. And Gilgal was huge to what happened with taking the land of promise. I believe for us as Christ followers that if we can understand the principle of having a base camp Gilgal in our own lives, we're going to see more victory than we're seeing in our lives currently. And I want to, I want to share with you just four things that I think Gilgal represented and then I try to equate them to your life a little bit, okay? First of all is this, is that Gilgal was a place of remembrance. It was a place of remembrance. In other words... Let's get these 12 stones out of the Jordan. The waters close back over. They take these 12 stones. They take them to Gilgal. They must have been pretty big. They built some kind of altar out of them, some kind of uh, visible memorial symbol, so that every time they went out and every time they came back, they would look at that um, memorial stone and they would say, man, God is great. He has a promise for us. He's going to fulfill it because remember what he did at the Jordan? He can do that anywhere. 
And so, you know, they may have went out, they won at Jericho, they came back, they see the stones. God is great. Look what he did. He brought us victory. They went to Ai, they got whooped, they came back, and they still looked at those stones, and they said, God is great. Let me tell you something in your walk with Christ. There's going to be certain days that you don't sense that you're walking in much victory. They're going to seem like some days of almost defeat. And you're going to need to come back and you're going to need to remember what God has done before. Listen, some days are going to be hard, but I'm telling you, the campaign has been won. Okay? But you're going to have certain days. And so they would always come back. They would look at these memorial stones and they would remember what God did when they crossed the Jordan River. And they would remember how great their God is in this. And I want you to know that in your life, If you're a follower of Jesus, let me tell you one of the memorial stones, the markers that is always there in your life, and it's the cross of Jesus Christ. It's the cross. You'll always come back to the cross. Galatians 2.20 says this. Paul said this. He says, For I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, And gave himself up for me. You see, you can always go back to the cross. You can remember on those days where you don't seem to have victory or the days when you are walking in victory is to come back and come to the cross and say, you know, Jesus poured out his life and he paid the full price for my sin. And you can go back to that cross and see it. On those days when you, when you can't figure out who you are, on those days you're walking in guilt and shame, those days that you seem to be falling on your face, or those days that are, it just seem to be going so well, you can come back and look at the cross and say, Jesus, you paid it all for me, and you've won the campaign. I know you've won it. Many of you have worked through uh, Henry Blackaby's Experiencing God study. And Henry Blackaby introduces something there, which is, which is exactly what these memorial stones are. He calls them spiritual markers. These are spiritual markers in your life that you can go back and you can see the hand of God at work. And because of those spiritual markers, you can look at them. It gives you faith, and it, your faith gets strong, and you're willing to go out and risk it again. And, and what I thought I would do just a moment is I want to share with you just some uh, personal spiritual markers. They're, these aren't all of them in my life, but these are some that maybe help you to do a little audit of your own life. Of, of spiritual markers that are there. And so let me share a few of them with you. April 16th, 1967, is when an eight-year-old boy walked an aisle in Waco, Texas, and he gave his life to Christ. That was me. I was baptized that very same day. I tell you, many people say they, they doubt when they made that original decision for Christ because it was so long ago. Listen, I have no doubt when I was an eight-year-old boy, when I gave my life to Christ, that that was the day. I put down a spiritual marker on that day. And I still look back to that day, and I remember that God uh, gave me forgiveness and he gave me life. Listen, I have sinned more since being a Christian than I ever was before, but Jesus paid them all, and I trusted him with it. So that was, uh, that was in April 16, 1967. In the summer of 1975, as a 15-year-old boy, uh, I all of a sudden understood that God, for the first time, it wasn't, uh, Christianity wasn't something uh, that you went and attended a service. Christianity was service. It was giving your life to Christ. 
And in 1975, the summer of that year, was the, lot, uh, the year that the Holy Spirit made it clear that God had a purpose for me and a calling on my life personally to go into the ministry. I, I fought against it. I'll be honest with you, 15-year-old kid, 15, 16 years old, you, you think, God, I'm too young to get, get something like this. But the Lord said, no, you'll go to where I send you. You'll do what I ask you to do. And so in the summer of 1975, I put up a spiritual marker right there. March the 10th, 1979. When Pam and I stood before a group of people and we made a covenant before God for our marriage and we made it before God. You see, uh, many people think marriage is a, is a civil thing or it's a, it's a physical thing. No, let me tell you, it's a union of two people coming before God, knowing that God sees us better together than separate and he wants to use us for his glory. So on March the 10th, 1979, we put a spiritual marker up in our marriage that said this is it. And so we, we, uh, we made that commitment to the Lord. Spring of 1980, God worked out some miraculous things that uh, we went on first church staff position we ever been on at First Baptist Church of Robinson. In January of 1981, through another series of miraculous events that we can look back at, God brought us to First Baptist Church Stephenville. And then in June of 1985, through another set of God-ordained circumstances, God brought us to Round Rock to the First Baptist Church here. And in the fall of 1990, these are all spiritual markers in our life. In the fall of 1990, uh, the Lord led us uh, to go lead out in the mission church from First Baptist Church. And in the fall of 1993 is when God called us to see uh, Central become reality in 1993. We're we're celebrating 25 years this fall. Isn't that crazy? And so that was in 1993 that God brought that out. And then in 2006... God working through some some miraculous ways. God called uh, me personally to uh, engage the pastors of Round Rock uh, to come together and to see what we could do about networking. And I just thought about that. Uh, Wednesday, the ministers gathered for our quarterly lunch. We had 55 ministers from Round Rock come together and heart to heart. Let me tell you, that's that's God just working out things. But that was a spiritual marker in 2006 to step out there. Now there's other other ones in our lives, the births of our kids, um, the uh, other ones. But, but here's what I want to encourage you. You do an audit of your life. You do an inventory. You look within your life and see, um, you see the areas of your life where God has moved and you have no doubt that he moved. Maybe it was calling you to a new career, moving you to Round Rock the day you got saved, whatever it may be. And when you got married, you look back and you see the hand of God and you mark it because you can go back just like those memorial stones. You can go back and you can see that God is at work and you know he promised it then. He's going to be faithful not only today, but with your future as well. You can trust him with that. But here's some things about spiritual markers I want you to just to, to kind of bank on. Number one is this. The scriptures will be involved. There's never been a time where we haven't sensed or I haven't sensed God doing something in my life where he hasn't confirmed it in his word. So I'd always encourage you to stay in the word of God. Another thought is this on spiritual markers is that it's going to take a step of faith. You're going to have to get up from the comfort zone and to make that step of faith, whatever it may be. You're going to step out and say, God, this is what I sense you're saying. I'm going to step out with you. It means I've got to leave this behind like the trapeze. You've got to let go of that one to grab that one. But you make that step, and what happens is, and this is the ultimate, is you see your faith strengthened, and you see God at work. And so I just encourage you, you find those spiritual markers in your own life, and you see what God can do. 
And here's my thought. At your Gilgal, you are reminded of what God has done and what he promises to do. Even in a day when it seems like confusion reigns, okay? Robert Louis Stevenson tells a story of a, of a, a group of people that are out on a ship and the ship is in the storm. And they send, they pick out one guy to go from the lower deck to go up to see if the captain is still in control of the ship. You know how it goes? And so he goes up there, he works his way up through the storm, and he looks into the uh, cabin where the, uh, the captain is there with his big, big wheel, and he has strapped himself to the wheel, but he looks at the young man who is coming to check on him, and he winks and he smiles at him. The man goes back downstairs to the rest of the people, and they said, is the captain in, in control? Do we, are we going to crash? What's going to happen? And he said, I made my way up, and he said, I saw the face of the captain, and he smiled. I think we need to realize when we look at spiritual markers, even in a day of calamity and what seems to be out of control, we can pull away to Gilgal and look in the face of our ultimate captain, and he's not fretting. He's smiling. He is still in control. Spiritual markers. Gilgal was a place of remembrance. Second of all, Gilgal was a place of resurrection. It was a place of resurrection. Um, if you go into chapter 5 a little bit, it, uh, there is a, uh, the writer here says, Joshua says this. He says that uh, Gilgal is a place where it's the renouncing or the rolling back uh, of your disgrace, uh, rolling back. And, and, and the, re- the word Gilgal actually means circle, but, it, but it, it goes like this when you read the original language. The word Gilgal sounds in the Hebrew much like the same word for roll away. In other words, this is what the writer is saying, is that coming to Gilgal, you have rolled away the disgrace of your past. Now what he is saying is this, is that you are no longer slaves like you were in Egypt. You are now sons and daughters. You see the difference? That has been rolled away. That slavery is not there anymore. Now you are sons and daughters of God. You're renouncing. That, that, that has been put away with. That has been rolled away. You are not that anymore. You are now sons and daughters. And what that means is, is that your identity has changed. What I see with many Christ followers today, they're walking in some moping around defeat because they've allowed their identity to be, to be defined by the world and by what they think they're supposed to be doing instead of allowing their identity to be determined by the one who gave his very life for them. The one who loves them incredibly. See, we have a hard time buying that because we walk in guilt and shame. And let's admit it, we all screw up daily. Okay? We all screw up daily. Don't anybody get up here and say, oh, I'm perfect. I have never sinned. Yes, you did. Yes, yes, you have. We all screw up. But here's the deal. Our identity is not determined by what we do, but it's whose we are. And so Christ has paid the ultimate price for us. And so our identity is bought in with that. And thus a love relationship happens. And out of that love relationship comes a changed life. It says this in 2 Corinthians 5:17 that anyone that is in Christ is a new creation. The old is come, gone, the new has come. You see, your identity has changed. 
You are no longer bound by your past. Just like you are, you are no longer a, a, a victim, you are now a victor. You, the old is gone, the new is coming. No longer slave, but you are now sons and daughters. At your personal Gilgal, you are reminded that your past has been dealt with and that your future is in God's hands. There was a London businessman by the name of Lindsey Clegg, and he uh, had a warehouse and some property that uh, he wanted to sell. But however, the warehouse was totally dilapidated. Windows broke out, trimmed down, walls dented in. Everything about it was not very attractive. But he had a buyer come along, and the buyer said, I want to buy it. And Clegg told him, he says, before you buy it, he said, i tell you what I'll do. I'll fix up the warehouse, and I'll fix everything up about it, and then uh, I will sell it to you. And the man said, you don't need to do that at all. He said, the first thing I'm going to do, he said, he said, I'm going to wipe out the warehouse. He said, it's not the warehouse I want, but it's the property that I want. And here's my thought there, is that God wants you. How many people are saying, man, when I get my life together, when I get my life together, now, God, you can use me. When I quit that addiction or I quit that hang-up or I quit that, that uh, uh, my past, you know, God, when I get this stuff fixed up, now you can use me. I'm going to tell you something. God doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. But he has chosen to love me and to care for me. And so what we need to do is he doesn't want all this stuff you're going to do for him. He wants the property. He wants you. And then he's going to develop out of you who he wants you to be. So Gilgal is a place of resurrection. Thirdly, Gilgal is a place of renouncing. The word renounce means to abandon something so that you can move forward, okay? To abandon something so you can move forward. It's to get rid of weights that hinder. I'm going to get rid of that in my life so I can move forward. I need to renounce that in my life so that I can move forward. In chapter 5, which uh, uh, obviously if you're reading on, you can read into chapter 5. The first, one of the first things the children of Israel did when they got to Gilgal was um, this. You remember that when Abraham, uh, excuse me, yeah, Abraham was given the, uh, the, the covenant uh, that they were to fulfill as the children of God, that there would be circumcision involved, circumcision for every male. And so what happened is, is that when they went into slavery and then they came out of slavery and wandered for 40 years, they had, they had not been obedient in that area. So after 40 years, every male that came into Gilgal, they were, they were circumcised. And, and the reason for that is it's the cutting away of the flesh as a symbolized symbolism that you belong to God. Okay? Paul said it this way. It's not circumcision of the flesh. It's circumcision of the heart. In other words, it's the cutting away of the flesh. It's the cutting away of those things. It's the renouncing of those things that would hold you back so that you can walk in victory. The problem is, is many of us are so comfortable with this world, we're so comfortable with the flesh, that we want to cling to it. And God is not wanting to pry your hands loose. What he's wanting you to do is to let go and to sense the victory that he wants to give you. But so many of us are clinging to so many things. But Gilgal was a place of renouncing. It was the cutting away of the flesh. It was the, the, the letting the things go aside. For the Israelites to walk in victory... They would, they would need to relinquish some things that would hold them back. At Gilgal, God would work on them. 
At your Gilgal, God will work with you in cutting away those fleshly things that prevent you from walking in victory. And this is a lifelong work. I wish I could say it's a one-time deal, you know. God, I give you everything. Then we pick it right back up, don't we? I mean, that's the way it is. But he is so loving. He will take uh, some, sometimes he will just gently prod us. Other, th- other times he'll chisel it off of us. But he loves us so much that he won't let us stay the way we are. Some of you have heard about what's called the Franklin Expedition. The Franklin Expedition took forth, uh, took out to discover the Arctic, basically, in the 19th century. They were headed towards the Arctic to go to what was considered the North Pole, the very northern part of the world in the Arctic. And uh, it was a failure, complete failure. But I want to read to you one of the reasons it was such a failure on this hazardous journey. And this is what it says. It says, each sailing vessel carried an auxiliary steam engine and a 12-day supply of coal for the entire projected two- or three-year voyage. Instead of additional coal, each ship made room for a 1,200-volume library, a hand-organ playing 50 tunes, China place settings for officers and men, cut glass wine goblets, and sterling silver flatware. The expedition carried no special clothing for the Arctic, only the uniforms of Her Majesty's Navy. Well, why do they fail? Well, they weren't, pre- they weren't prepared for the journey. If we're going to walk in victory in what God has promised in His Word to take the land, it means that He may have to relinquish some things out of our hands, to, that we need to renounce certain things. And I'm not talking about legalism here. You know, we, we, it's a love relationship. Christianity is not a religion. It's a love relationship with the God of the universe who loves us immensely. And to walk in that love relationship, sometimes it means we need to relinquish some things, renounce some things, to walk closer to him in that love relationship. That's what he longs for. So Gilgal is a place of renouncing. Last one. Gilgal was a place of restoration. Place of restoration. Anytime the children of Israel went out, they fought their battle. You know, you've got wounded. You've got supplies that are needed. You've got, what are our next assignment? We need to get back and get rest and replenishing. And so what they would do is they would come back to Gilgal, the base camp. And they would once again remember how great God is. They would remember that they had they have cut the cutting away of the flesh. They would remember this, just God, the resurrection power, their identity as a children of God. But they would come also to get restoration. And that's it about our personal Gilgal as well. We get, we get restored when we come into his presence. We get, we, when, we, when we have that time with him, we are able to be restored and to find guidance and to find direction. How do we do that? That's always the question, man. How do we, how do we find our Gilgal? Here, let me, let me just say this right quick because I can't tell you exactly what that is gilgal isn't normally uh, isn't necessarily a geographical place even though some of you have good places at your house or your backyard or or you, you go and have holy moments with god that's great but it's not necessarily a physical place as much as it is a physical uh, excuse me an attitude an attitude that you have attitude of your heart god i want to pull away to be with you So I'm going to give you a couple of questions just to challenge you today in finding your own personal Gilgal. And it's this. Number one question is this. Do you know him? 
Do you know him? I mean, have you crossed over your um, Jordan from bondage of sin into relationship with him? Do you know him? I'm not saying do you come to church. I'm not saying have you been baptized? Have you done everything that we say you should do? I'm, I'm asking you, do you know him? Have you come to that point of saying, God, it's my desire to follow you. What you did at the cross, you did for me. And God, here I am. Do you know him? In other words, has your identity been changed? In other words, you're, you're, you're no longer a bondage to sin. You're not a slave to sin. You're a child, uh, son or daughter of God. Do you know him? You're willing to say, God, I, I, I want to know you. You love me. I was created for your purposes and your, your good purposes. I wasn't created for me. I, wasn't crea- I was created for your purposes, God. So please come, forgive me. I want to know you, God. Do you know him? Second question is this. Are you willing to pull away from the world? And I mean busyness, consumerism, hedonism, those things that just hold you back. Are you willing to pull away? And the reason we don't want to pull away is we think that God's going to do like this. He's going to take his thumb and just squash us. Oh, God doesn't want me to have any fun. He doesn't want me to do anything. Man, can you imagine how, how that is a lie from hell itself? The one that loves you immensely, that cares more for you than anything anybody ever will, who loves you immensely, wants your life to the full, and we have this thought that he's going to squash us. Are you willing to pull away, to pull away? And then the third thing I want to share with you is not a question but a thought. Your Gilgal will involve a cross. First of all, there will be the spiritual marker of the cross of Jesus Christ. But then secondly, there's the, there's the mark of the cross on you. Said in the, in the Gospels that you need to take up your cross daily and follow him. Follow him. So you can ruin your life? No, so that you can find victory. And I wrote this down. And this is personal, but I'll write it down. Could the lack of victory in my life coincide with the lack of going to my personal Gilgal? To find the place where I pull away, and I pull away, and I remember all that God has done for me. I realize that my identity is now in Him, and it's not in what I can do. I renounce those things that are holding me back from that love relationship with him. And then I get restoration from him and his Holy Spirit. I'll end with this thought. This was kind of crazy. But uh, Michael Jordan, we're in the NBA finals right now and everything. And and, uh, Michael Jordan, who many consider the greatest NBA basketball player that ever existed, um, and he had done, he had accomplished everything. In fact, he got bored with it so much one year he went and tried to play baseball. But uh, he had accomplished everything. And in one particular interview, he was asked what keeps him going. And in this particular interview, he said this. He said, he said it's no longer, not so much for him and the victories for him, but he said it's the victories for the new guys who have never won a championship, who don't know the feeling of that. And he, in 1997, when they won the NBA championship, they had an assistant coach on their name and their team by the name of Frank Hamblin. 
Frank Hamlin had been an assistant coach at various teams for over 25 years in the NBA and had never come close to winning a championship. Michael Jordan, when they won the 1997 championship, had he had had all those victories, all those championships before. This one, he said, is for Frank Hamlin, to win for Frank Hamlin. And I, I thought about that. And, and let me just say this, Christian, Christ follower, son and daughter of God, is that sometimes we think, oh, I could live my life out the way it is. It's pretty comfortable. You know, I'm, I'm making it pretty good. I think me and God are on the same page and many things. But, but let me challenge you with something. Are you willing to walk forth in victory in such a way, not so that you feel good about yourself, but so that a next generation behind you can see that and experience the victory as well? Because you see, that was everything about the memorial stones. The memorial stones, when people, when the children come and say, hey, what are these memorial stones about? It would open up the conversation to say, this is what God has done. He is great. He is awesome. He took us across the Jordan, and he has given us this land. This is how great God is. Listen, we need to understand that if we're going to walk in victory, it's not to puff us up. It's so a generation behind us can see the glory of God. Have you found your Gilgal? I, I, you know, I would challenge you today. Man, some of you need to pull away. God, what's it going to take for me to get to that place where I'm remembering all that you've done? It could be a spiritual marker inventory. Or maybe it's that, God, I need to know that my identity is in you and not in me. And that I need to renounce whatever God may lay on your heart. This is holding you back from our love relationship. And then to find restoration. Let's pray.